How many of you know that God has given us believers, those of us who are born again in Christ, that he's given us all we need for life and godliness? I mean, that's what scripture says. 2 Peter 1.3 says that we have all we need. We've been given all we need for life and godliness, and all means all. I mean, think about some of the stuff he's given us. He's given us salvation. Can I get, yeah, there we got some amens. How about he's given us grace? Right? We, can, we can do what we couldn't do before. We can say no to sin, and we can say yes to righteousness. We can put the old behind us, and we can walk in the new because God has given us all we need for life and godliness. He's given us freedom, and of course, he's given us the Holy Spirit. I need some big amens on that. Amen. I mean, God himself, the Holy Spirit, has come, and he's made his dwelling in us. We in Christ Jesus have the full indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And not only is he just dwelling in us, but he's also given us gifts. We have gifts from God who is indwelt within us. So you're gifted. Just look to your neighbor and say you're gifted. All right. That, come on, a little, more, a little more enthusiasm here this morning. You're gifted. Amen. Now, hey, you would think that this truth would have the entire body of Christ excited, encouraged, like we would be embracing this truth with every fiber of our being. But surprisingly, there's controversy and there's confusion surrounding the spiritual gifts. There's even avoidance, which is crazy. It's like, it's Christmas time. There's gifts under the tree. I don't avoid them. You know what I'm saying? I go after them. I open them up. I'm excited about those things. And if God has gifts for us, his church, how much better is God at giving gifts than even we are at giving gifts? Today, we're going to do something different on our Mission 27 journey. Uh, we're going to systematically go through an entire chapter of Scripture. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Most of Mission 27 is more of an overview, giving us big picture understanding of these amazing 27 books in the New Testament so that we can get the big picture story but message from God and walk in it. Today we're going to dive word by word, verse by verse through 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we're going to get God's approach on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This chapter is often misunderstood, it's misquoted, it's misapplied, but it doesn't have to be confusing. It's really not confusing. Just word by word. What is God saying here? And let's just see what God is saying and not read into what God is saying. This chapter in our Bibles, it's exciting. Hey, let's do this first. So let's get back to context. This letter, including this chapter of this letter, it wasn't originally chapter verse, you know that, right? But this part of this letter was originally given to a church in a place called Corinth. And this is a church that's full of zeal for God. I mean, they're like on fire believers. They're a new church. They're excited about their new life in Christ Jesus. They're going after it. These, these folks used to go after, with every fiber of their being, the world. They went after sin. They went after flesh, pleasure, all that kind of stuff. They're born again in Christ Jesus. They think differently. They, they, they see things differently. They're excited now about God, and they are going after the Lord and everything he has for them with all the zeal that they can muster up. By the way, that's evidence of God's grace in your life. When you go from running after and pursuing the things of the world to instead pursuing the things of God, that's when you know you're walking in grace and you're walking by the Spirit and not by the flesh. We talked about that whole Spirit-flesh thing in Romans chapter 8 when we were in Romans a couple weeks ago. Evidence of God's grace. Evidence of salvation. Evidence of sanctification. But anyway, this church, in their zeal, they were all excited, and in their excitement, they were creating a little bit of chaos and confusion when they would get together. It was just kind of like, you know, no holds barred, you know, WWE church. 
you know, in, in Corinth. That, that's what was going on. So Paul brings some wisdom, and he wants to help this church. He's excited for their zeal, but he wants to help them. He wants to help them make room for all that God has for them so that they would receive the most blessing and the most benefit. Title of today's sermon is Make Room for Spiritual Gifts. Pretty simple. Make room for spiritual gifts. So, here we are. So I play golf. In fact, yesterday I didn't plan on playing golf, but Ben and I were hanging out. We ended up at a golf course. Imagine that, right? You know, it's better than two guys hanging out and ending up at a bar. That's all I'm saying. So two guys hanging out, father, son hanging out. We ended up at a golf course. We didn't plan on playing golf. We were just going to hit some golf balls on the range. Next thing you know, I'm getting a twofer, you know, two for one type of a deal. It was 20 bucks. The two of us played an entire 18 holes of golf for 20 bucks total, 10 bucks each. Can't pass those deals up. And so anyway, so golf is an interesting sport. So what we do in golf is we take what are called clubs, these little, little metal devices here, um, and we stand over a ball on a tee box, and we hit that ball. Sometimes 400 yards away, there's a little cup. So we got a little ball on a little tee, and 400 yards away, there's a little cup, and we're supposed to put that little ball in that little cup in four strokes. Dude, that sounds impossible, doesn't it? Golf is hard, all right? It's a sanctifying activity. It's hard. My son yesterday, two times, he put that ball in three strokes in that hole on a par four. A couple birdies yesterday for him. I don't think I hit a birdie yesterday. It wasn't my day yesterday, all right? But anyway, golf is a hard sport. But, but what we do in golf is we have different clubs, we have different clubs in our bag here. We got a driver, you know, this is for hitting the long ball. And then we go all the way down to, you know, maybe a pitching wedge close to the green. We want to put it 115, 120 yards and stick it on the green. And then we go all the way to the putter, right? And the putter's used kind of, the, it's the last thing we do. And that's when we're just, we're just going to roll that ball right into the cup. So we have different clubs for different purposes to help us be successful at putting that little ball from point A into point B, into the cup. Every one of these clubs is important. Every one of these clubs is valuable. But each one of these clubs has their own purpose, and we pull them out at just the right time. You see what I'm saying? In other words, I don't use a driver on the green. I use a putter. And if I'm going to step up to drive a ball, and i gotta, I got to get four or 500 yards away, I'm not going to use my putter on the tee box. I'm going to use a driver. All of these clubs are important, and all are valuable. And, and that's the way it is with what God has given us. He's given us a set of spiritual clubs, a set of spiritual gifts that help us find success, get to where we are when we come to Christ, to where God is taking us individually and as the church. He's given us a set of clubs. He's given us spiritual gifts. He's given us means and all that we need to live with Him and for Him and to glorify Him and to be His church. And the Holy Spirit will give us just the right club, just the right gift at just the right time, so that we can find success in this thing called Christian living. So, I got to say this. Are you ready to tee this up? Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, all right. 1 Corinthians 14, verse by verse through the entire chapter. So I'm going to get rolling here. Buckle up. Here we go. Verse number one, follow the way of love. We just came out of 1 Corinthians 13, which is a love chapter, which is all in the context of how we administer and handle the spiritual gifts that were just laid out to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, all about the spiritual gifts, all about what we have and how we use them to be most beneficial and effective as Christians and as the body of Christ. So verse one, follow the way of love and eagerly, desire spiritual gifts, plural. Go after all of them. Follow the way of love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially, not only you're going to see, but especially the gift of 
prophecy. So again, instead of clubs, we, we have a set of spiritual gifts. And these spiritual gifts have been given to the New Testament church, and they've never been rescinded or revoked. It's, it's amazing. Paul is teaching the church. He's encouraging the New Testament church beyond the original apostles, the body of Christ in, in, in what's between 53 and 57 A.D., this is what you have. Eagerly desire it. Grab hold of these and, and come on, man. Let's go after it. Let's go after it. Let's use them. One of our board members, Tom Lewis, is a golfer, and he's like, you want me to put some balls up there? I've got some that won't hurt them, and then you can hit them out into the, into the congregation. And I'm like, I don't think we have insurance for that. We've got a great policy. I don't think it includes the golf balls from the stage thing. Anyway, so... We have these gifts, and we're told to eagerly desire. In other words, we're told to pursue spiritual gifts and then actually use them. Now, what we're going to find here in, in, in chapter 14 is Paul's going to focus primarily on two gifts. He's going to focus primarily on the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, but this text has principles that apply to every single one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how to administer all of those things, and how we should do life together when we gather together as the body of Christ. So let's continue, because here's some reasons why we should be desiring and using these gifts. Paul moves right, right on. We're in verse 2. For anyone who speaks... In a tongue, does not speak to men, but to God. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Good deal? Something we, we should desire? Anyone who speaks in a tongue, speaks not to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Prophecy in the New Testament church. Did you, did you see that? Everyone who prophesies, speaking in the New Testament church here, encouraging the New Testament church, is doing it. Why? So that the body of Christ, people who are hearing, are strengthened, encouraged, and comforted. Verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. That sounds pretty good. I'm getting a little bit of ring here. Edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So far, so good. So far, pretty exciting. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are good. They edify. I did the homework. Here's what edify means. Edify means to encourage and improve. The gifts of the Spirit, they encourage us and they improve us. They edify us individually and corporately. How many of you want to be encouraged? How many of you want to be improved? How many of us want the church to be encouraged? How many of us want the church, the body of Christ, to be improved? Paul is saying, eagerly desire these gifts because they edify, they encourage, and they improve the church. That's why they're called gifts, right? These gifts make us better, and they make us stronger as believers, and as the body of Christ. And maybe, just maybe, this is why the enemy wants to keep the church away from these gifts. Because they make us better, and they make us stronger. The enemy doesn't want that. Verse 5. Again, this is Paul speaking, and he's instructing the church. Obviously, actually, it's the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul to the church. So the Lord is saying, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. He just said it builds us up. It edifies us, right? Encourages us, improves us. So, of course, he wants every one of us. Are you one of us? Are you part of the church, of the New Testament church? You would be the one of us that Paul is saying he would like every one of us to speak in tongues. But I would rather have you prophesy. Notice it's not instead of, rather it's both. I'd rather have you prophesy because he who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets. Why? So that the whole church may be edified, encouraged and improved again. 
So Paul considers prophecy more beneficial than tongues in a public gathering. That's what he just said, very clearly, very plainly. Why? Because he told us why. Because everyone can understand a prophetic word that's given in a public gathering. Why? Because that word was given, presumably, in the language that everybody understands and is speaking in that gathering. That's why it's more beneficial, because everyone can understand it. But Paul doesn't say that tongues are wrong, bad, or discouraged in a public gathering. That is, he did not say that right there. There's nothing about that. He just said, I want all of you to have this gift. But even more than that, prophecy when you're together, because it's more beneficial to more people. It's like this. I said it earlier. On the tee box, what's the most beneficial club on most tee boxes on the golf course? The driver is the most beneficial club. Now, if I show up to play golf and I pull out my putter every time I get on the tee box, you know, the putter's a great club. It's awesome. You need it. You need to practice with it. You need to be good at it. But don't pull it out on the tee box because the results will be less than spectacular. You can still get there with a the putter from the tee box. It's just not as beneficial as the trusty driver right here. In fact, my driver was so hot yesterday, my son was using it. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was on fire yesterday. Anyway, best drive was on hole 17. Fabulous. We did not catch that one on video, unfortunately. Otherwise, I would have been tempted to show it to you right now, and that would have been prideful, would have been horrible. So be quiet, Eric. Get back to the word. Okay. So anyway. Verse 6, let's get back to the word. Verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 14 says, Now, brothers, if, and, and it's speaking to the church here. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute, the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, verse 8 says, Now again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker and he is a foreigner to me, so it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up and edify the church. In other words, try to excel at the gifts that benefit the most people. Do you know that God is pretty practical, right? The Word of God is pretty practical. When we get together, we should want the most people built up and edified. So, we begin to see what was more than likely going on in the church there in Corinth. It looks like the Corinthian church was loving the gift of tongues. I mean, it was like, it, it, was, it was fabulous. It's a very supernatural kind of a gift. It, it, it's very supernatural, and it's very exciting, and it, and it edifies, and it builds up. It's encouraging. And they were like, this is incredible, and, and they just, they were going at it, man. They were just going at it, and it sounds like they were going at it all together, all at once, speaking over one another, full of zeal, full of zeal, and it was dominating their public gathering. And tongues is great. It's great. Like Paul said, Paul's like, I love it. I can say to you, I love it. I love it. It's great. But you know what? If I just got up here on Sunday morning and I just started praying and, and, and worshiping and speaking in tongues, y'all would maybe go, well, that's kind of interesting for about 10 seconds. And then go, where's this going, and why am I sitting here? Amen. I got an amen. And his wife nudged him after he said amen. <laughs> I'm with you, brother. That was a good amen. That was a good amen. That was a good amen. Amen. 
By the way, that's just a, a reminder. I can see you. You can see me. You know, I can see you. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And I don't know. God can see you on the camera right there. I, saw, I don't know. I can't see you, but he can see you. Anyway, oh, Lord, help me. See, tongues is great, but other gifts are actually more beneficial when the church is gathered together. Why? Because everyone can benefit at once. But again, Paul isn't throwing out the use of tongues. He's just wanting us to make room to give space for all the gifts and for it to be most beneficial. Every setting is different. When I'm on a tee box and it's a par three, I don't pull out the driver. I pull out a different gift or a different club. Maybe a wedge five iron or whatever, depending on the distance, depending on what the need is. And that's just really how it is with the Holy Spirit. These are gifts. These are to benefit us, to edify us. And there's different gatherings and different purposes, and there's different people that we're ministering to who need different, different outpourings and, and outflowings from the Spirit of the living God who is within us. And the Holy Spirit knows exactly the right gift to give us at exactly the right time. And when we look back, it's usually practical, and it's usually and always supernatural. It's both and. Verse 13, for this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. Makes sense, right? Why would, he, why would you want an interpretation of a tongue in a public gathering? Because then everyone's going to understand what was being said through the tongue, right? It's just, it's just right there. Easy to understand. I, see, this is the thing. This, this whole stuff isn't complicated, and it's not hard to understand because Paul is walking us right through exactly from these are awesome, eagerly desire them, to exactly how to use them for the most benefit. You see, this is what we got to understand about the Lord. Too many people think that, that, that God just kind of does an amazing thing in our lives and then throws us out there and says, like, have fun storming the castle, if you know what that movie reference is, right? Princess Bride, right? Have fun storming the castle. You know, is it going to make? I don't know. I don't know. You know, and God doesn't do that with us. He also doesn't just put carrots out in front of us and have us just, no, God gives us, as we just said in the beginning, all we need for life and godliness and we don't have to guess. He speaks to us. He's, he's given us what we need to understand what we have and how to walk it out. And it's so clear here in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. So, verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? Paul answers his own question here. He says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I'm going to do both. Both are good and both have their place is what he's saying here. I'm going to do both. I'm going to do both. By the way, I want to, I want to just point this out because this is, this is scripture talking here. It says, verse 14, let's go back there for just a second. This is jumping out. I think somebody needs to hear this. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. But wait, I, I didn't think that was a good place to be with God. Like our, you know, like we're, we're not turning our mind off when we're with the Lord. We never turn our mind off. We're always available to the Lord. But there are times when, when we are interacting with God in such a way that our minds don't even understand and can't comprehend what is actually happening in this interaction with the infinite one who is God and we are not. And this is one of those things that can happen from time to time as we're praying, specifically in the Spirit here. Our spirit is, is praised, but my mind is unfruitful. What shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my mind. Verse 16, if you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those... Now, now listen... It's just going kind of from personal now to corporate again here, right? Hey, I can do both of these, and it's awesome, and it's edifying me, and it's building me up, praying in the Spirit, praying with my mind. Both of them are good for me. It's all good. But then he's bringing it back to the corporate gathering here. 
And he says right here, if you're praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving? Since he doesn't know what you're saying. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man, the other person isn't edified. But I love it. But I love just praying in tongues super loud in front of everybody, man. It's awesome. I'm built up. Paul says, yeah, that's great. You're built up. But what about the people around you? It's just kind of noise. All right. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than I'm going to use the Texas version here. It's not on your screen, so bear with me. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all y'all. In other words, Paul's like, man, I'm so grateful I have this gift. That God's given me this gift. That I pressed in to the Lord in this. Because, man, it's really been good for me. I'm just paraphrasing, obviously. It's not on the screen. It's not in your Bible right here. But this is what we're hearing, this is what we're hearing Paul say, man. I'm, I'm so grateful. I thank God. That, 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 I, that I have this gift and that I've, I've eagerly desired it and pressed in and, and received it. But in the church, he says, verse 19, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. When I'm together with other people, I'd rather speak something that they're going to understand that's going to impact their lives and draw them closer to the Lord. Again, I'm paraphrasing, but, but you, hear, you hear this coming off the pages right here. I'd rather do that than just be, ah, and nobody understands. And nobody else is benefiting except for me. It's having a heart for others. Okay? This isn't about, oh, we... we Pastor Eric's saying, well, I'm just saying what the Bible's saying, first of all, okay? That's, that's all I'm saying right here, all right? But, but like, oh, we don't want that spiritual stuff in the church and all that stuff because, you know, no. But I like all that kind of stuff. It's about others, folks. Do you hear that? Do you hear this? It's about others. For Jesus, it was all about others. He went to the cross. It was all about others. He should have had a crown. Instead, he had the cross. He had a crown. It was a crown of thorns. Because it was all about others. He forsook his glory to come down because it was all about others. When we gather together, y'all, it's about others. It's not about you. It's not about, oh, I really love that song. Why don't we sing the songs I like? I want goosebumps. I want to feel this. I want to feel. It's not about you. And if it's about you, check your heart right now because you're missing it. It's better to receive, to give than to receive. We talked last week about being a servant of all. Caring, washing feet, all this. I mean, when you, we come together, it's not about us. It's, about, it's not about me. It's about you. It's not about you. It's about the person next to you. The gifts that the Holy Spirit releases through your life, it's not about you, ultimately. It's about the ministry of the kingdom of heaven. And it's about others. It's about others. And in the process, though, you are edified. In the process, you are built up. It's in giving that we receive. That's God's heart, and that's where he is on the gifts of the Spirit as well. I don't even know where I am right now in this. I thank God for speaking more than all y'all. I got that. But in the church, I'd rather you speak five intelligible words, instruct others in 10,000 words in a tongue. And, and this is the deal. We all often think that it's either or. We always think we've got to choose between one thing and the other thing. And there are so many things in the kingdom of heaven that it's not about either or. It's about we have both and. We have both and. God loves to offer us both and. And when we engage with God, it's we are blessing others because we're pouring out what he's given us to others, but we're also blessed in the process. And in this scripture, it's not about one gift in exclusion of all the others. That's not what Paul is saying here. 
It's about we have them all. And God wants us to eagerly desire them all and to use them the way He has designed them to be used. Which is for the edification, the building up, the encouragement, the betterment, the strengthening of the most, the body of Christ. That's it. All right. You like this verse-by-verse -verse journey this week? Yes. Is this working? Yes. All right. Let's keep going. Verse 20. Brothers, stop thinking like children. I love Paul. Isn't he great? Stop being babies. All right. Stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. Be oblivious, in other words. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 and 12 there. There's so much in the New Testament that is a quote and a fulfillment of the Old Testament. We talked about that when we started this 20, Mission 27 journey. And then verse 22, he says, Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, and many believe it's this particular prophecy, but just quoted in Isaiah 28. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or, or some, some unbelievers come in, they will, not, they will they not say that you are out of your mind. Some people say that around y'all. <laughs> anyway, that's another thing. Um, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he's a sinner and will be judged by all. Why? Because the word of God is coming forth. That's why. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare, so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. And isn't that what we want in the life of an unbeliever? Not thinking, the church is nuts, I'm out of here. But hearing the word of God spoken and it penetrating their heart, bringing conviction and drawing them to their knees, and they're born again in Christ Jesus as a result. Amen. Verse 26, what then shall we say, brothers? So what are we going to do about this? When you come together... We're together right now. So in your church gatherings, Paul's saying, when you come together, everyone, go ahead and say it, everyone. everyone. All right. Everyone. That's you. That's me. Every believer he's talking about. Everyone born again in Christ Jesus, because everyone is indwelled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction. Again, he's saying, when you come together, so how are you coming to church? How are you going to your life group? How are you going to the prayer meeting? What's your mentality? What's your perspective? What's your expectation? When you're getting together as the body of Christ, he's saying, when you come together, everyone has something to bring to the table. Everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. And all of this, all these gifts must be done for the strengthening of the church. The church needs what you have. The church needs us all to show up with expecting God to move through us. Do you know how much you can bring? Do you know the word that the Lord can give you, that word of encouragement, that 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 word of life that you can speak that God wants you to release into somebody's life in the lobby after church? Do you come to church with that expectation? Lord, do you have a word that you want me to give somebody? A word of encouragement, a word to edify, to strengthen them, to build them up, to encourage them. God, do you want me to lay hands and pray for somebody? Is there somebody that I'm to pray for today that you want to release healing in their life today? Are we coming together from that perspective? Paul's saying, that's how we should be gathering. Because we all have something to bring to the table, to bring to the gathering. Every one of us. And all these things, all these gifts must be done for the strengthening of the church. Could the church be weaker than it needs to be because we aren't making room for these gifts and for God to move? Because we're not expecting it, because we're not coming together from this perspective. This perspective right here. Could we be weaker than we need to be? 
I think the answer is yes. Paul is encouraging us to go after these gifts, to expect them to be willing vessels. We don't want to whoop something up. Don't do that. Please don't. This isn't scripture, but I'll just say, thus saith Eric, just stay quiet. If it's just you that's trying just to do something because you just want to do something or say something. Just, 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 you know what I'm saying? But if the Holy Spirit wants to release something from you, and it truly is from the Spirit of the living God to release this thing, please, please do that. The church needs, your brothers and sisters need that. We need that. Verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three, notice there's some flexibility here, in God good, ah, two, maybe three, maybe three at most, right? Three at most, they should speak at, at a time, and, and someone must interpret. So Paul is suggesting some structure to our gathering and some structure to how we're administering our gatherings and what's happening and how much is happening and, and when and how and all that. And some people say, oh, I'm just waiting for the church to come together and just anything goes, man. It's like, read your Bible. God is saying to use your head, to use some, some self-control, to be wise about your gatherings so that you get the most out of them. Okay? I mean, people say, Pastor Eric, I'm just looking forward to the week when you just get up on, on Sunday, you don't prepare anything, and you just let the Holy Spirit speak through you. I'm like, do you not think that that's what's going on Monday morning at 6 a.m. when I'm getting before the Lord, and I'm pleading, and I'm asking God, speak, what do you have for me? You want me to ignore them Monday through Saturday. I don't got any time for you, Holy Spirit. I don't got time to listen to you, God, because I'm just going to wait until Sunday morning, because that's when it's going to really be anointed. I'm like, What? Where do you get that? By the way, if you think that, where do you get that? Show it to me. Show it to me. I'm just saying. I will tell you this, at least 25, 30% of what happens here on Sunday morning when I'm standing up here, it's just happening on the spot. But there's also a whole lot of amazing stuff the Holy Spirit is releasing that happened at 6 a.m. on Monday morning. Or happened at Wednesday after lunch when I started falling asleep because I had too much to eat, you know what I'm saying? And the, the whole Lord just brought something to mind. Don't put God in a box in any way, any direction. So I personally believe that Paul is not laying down the law when he's talking about, you know, two or three only at one time, this and all that. But what he's given us is he's, he's given us some guidelines. He's encouraging some common sense structure so that we can actually create some space for all the gifts and for the most benefit for the most people. Now check this out. After someone speaks a public tongue, they are to wait for an interpretation. Verse 28, and if there's no interpreter, so let's say some tongues came forth, right? And by the way, that happens here at Evident Life Church. It's happened on Sunday mornings. It happens periodically throughout the year on Wednesday night prayer. We have it. I believe it's happened in some of your life groups. Somebody will bring a tongue. I get so excited. Do you know how excited I am when that happens? You know how scared some people get? Oh, my goodness, somebody's bringing a tongue. What are we going to do with that, man? What if, what, if, what if we go off the rails? Oh, my goodness. Come on. Do we trust the Lord? Are we excited about what God might be doing? Amen. Amen. So, if there's no interpreter, though, when, when tongues are coming forth in a, in a gathering, the speaker should just be quiet that, at that point and speak to himself and to God. I want to say something very clear because this is what we, what we just read. Read, first of all, that the most benefit is something in the language that people are going to understand. Five intelligible words are better than 10,000 that are unintelligible, Right? So we get the principle behind that. We talked about principle over practice and that stuff last week, right? So we understand the principle behind that. So if we have um, non-intelligible or unintelligible or whatever intelligible, 
If we don't understand, because tongues are coming forth and people aren't being able to understand those things and grasp those things, and nobody is interpreting those things, we don't have interpretation of that, then you know what? It's not beneficial at that point, so we can just stop with the tongues and trust God for other things and move on. That's all Paul is saying. You're like, but that seems too practical. That seems too reasonable. So God isn't practical? He isn't reasonable? This is the whole point. He's supernatural. And he's sovereign and perfect in the way that he administers his supernaturalness. You know what I'm saying? That's a new word, supernaturalist. Oh. So if no one's interpreting, just move on and make space for the other gifts. I want to say this too. This is what often happens, and oh, I got a problem with this. Somebody brings a tongue, and everybody's like, hmm, we're going to see if they're really hearing from the Lord or not. Or is the devil working through them, man? What's going on, man? You know, and so we're going to wait. Is there an interpretation? And do we think it's the right interpretation? And man, all of a sudden, judgmentalism comes on, and, and, and that's not from a place of faith. Are you even listening at that point to the Lord? Is the Holy Spirit, are you even available for him to use you to bring the interpretation? Or are you just in a position of, well, let's see what's going to happen here. Is this person, you know, walking with the Lord really? Or are they just some kind of false believer that's all about themselves? I want to tell you, my perspective is different. My perspective is as soon as I hear a tongue come forth in any kind of gathering, and again, this isn't something that happens in every week in the things I'm in. Even in our pastor's prayer, it almost never happens, you know. But, but when it does, I'm excited because I'm like, Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing, Lord? This is pretty cool. What are you doing? And I'm listening, and I'm making myself available. Because here's what often happens, I believe. Somebody has a tongue, and they're stepping out in massive faith, humbling themselves to be used by God in this way. And when the interpretation doesn't come, I would venture to say, and this is my venturing to say thing here, not a thus saith the Lord, that it's somebody else who is not hearing or willing to release the interpretation, who's really the one who's not helping the situation out, not the one who brought the tongue in the first place. Now, often the one who brings the tongue has the interpretation as well, and I encourage you, if that's you, bring it. Anyway, I can go... Much deeper in this, but we got to get rolling here. All right, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh, verse 29, two or three prophets should speak, the others should weigh what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Verse 32, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. So, Common sense instruction on how to avoid chaos so that we can actually get something out of what God is doing when we're together. Let's move on. Second half of verse 33. As in all the congregations of the saints. Oh, this is a great one. You thought I'd skip over this. I can't skip over scripture, y'all. You know what I'm saying? As in all, but listen, 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 listen. Check this out. As in all the congregation of the saints, women should remain silent in all the churches. Women should remain silent in all the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home, because all their husbands are so smart and know so much more than them. (laughs) Anyway, that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. Um, For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. So, some believe that women should be seen but not heard in our churches, but I have a problem with that view. I have a problem with that view because I don't see that in the Bible. Women's role in church gatherings, they've been debated forever. I don't want to spend, I don't, have a, I don't have a whole lot of time to talk about this. But in short, I see so much evidence throughout Scripture of women speaking, prophesying, using the gifts in church gatherings, men, women, all involved. Women prophetesses in the Old Testament like Deborah, the prophetess Anna mentioned in the Gospels in Luke chapter 2. We've got Philip of Caesarea and his four daughters who it says prophesied, Acts 21.9. And of course, 1 Corinthians 11.5, right here in the same 
letter, 1 Corinthians 11.5, which speaks of women praying and prophesying, when it says, but every wife or woman who prays or prophesies. So we see this throughout Scripture. There's a place for women. Context is key right here. What are we talking about in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14? Specifically, what is the main topic in 14? It's prophecy. The context that we're speaking about is prophecy. And then we just dialed it even tighter context because we just went into about judging prophecy. And the prophet must be you know, submissive to, to, um, to the other prophets to the, being, for their word to be judged by the other leaders in the church. Context is key. So it's ultimately up to the leaders of the church, to the elders of the church, to make those judgments about prophetic words that have been released in the body of Christ. And in Scripture, we find this is one clear place of headship. And I talked about that, I believe, in one of my daily doses or last week, Sunday. It all blurs together, but it's all God's Word. So, but, but I talked about headship. I, I think it was last Sunday I talked about headship. Elders in the Bible, it's very clear. It's one place it's very clear that elders are men. It's, it's, a, it's a role in the church that is specifically set aside for men, not women, but not all men. Not all men. Not any man. There's calling. There's qualifications. There's commitment. There's all kinds of things related to that. So women, we need you. And so when you read about this, remaining silent, it's not just women who need to remain silent when a, when a prophetic word needs to be judged or dealt with one way or another. But it's everyone in the church that should remain silent who that's not their role to do that particular Thing. Understand? That's my perspective. I'm sticking to it today. All right. Let's bring it home. You ready to finish this exciting chapter? Verse 36. Did the word of God originate with you? Any answer to that? No. Okay. All right. Did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid the speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So Paul finishes out this whole talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit by making sure that after I've said all this stuff about it, after I've laid out some recommendations on how to make it most profitable, that you don't hear what I'm not saying. He didn't use that phrase, but, but I do a lot. But, but he basically, don't hear what I'm not saying now and make sure you remember what I really did say at the outset of this. Go after the spiritual gifts. They're good especially when you're together. Prophecy is amazing. It's encouraging. It will edify you. It will strengthen you. It will build you up as the body of Christ. It's a good thing for you. Go after it. Go after it. Make room for it and use everything you got in the bag. Use it all, right? And finally, understanding that some may be confused and still weirded out by the supernatural things such as tongues, he very clearly clarifies, do not forbid speaking in tongues. So I want to just go through, summarize this. I want to invite Pastor Tim up because we're going to take communion here in a bit. Let's just go through this. Here's what just happened. Church, that's all of us. This is what... This is what Chapter 14 saying, hey, church, all y'all, I want you to use all the gifts. They're good. They're going to build you up. You need them. You need them. Don't think it's just for the, for the other people, the, the super spiritual people. No. If you're in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit has fully indwelled you. These gifts are for you. They're for everyone. We should all eagerly desire them, in other words, right? However, some of the gifts are more beneficial when you gather together. And use the more beneficial gifts more often because they're going to benefit more people. But still, don't exclude any of the other gifts as well. For instance, prophecy more get beneficial in a public gathering than tongues for the simple fact that everyone can immediately understand, grasp, and receive from that word. Everyone's built up. However, 
Simply because people can't understand or everyone can't understand a tongue doesn't mean that we forbid tongues as we gather together. And finally, just go after them. Be willing. Don't manufacture, let me just say this, pastoral, don't manufacture any of this stuff. Don't make it up. Don't pretend. I've been in church gatherings where people have just fallen down because they so badly want to touch from God. It's not that they're evil or demon-possessed or any crazy stuff like that. They just so badly want a touch from the Lord that they kind of they insert themselves to, to help the process. We don't have to do that. But what we do have to do, what we are called to do, because some people think, oh, it's just about God just suddenly out of nowhere coming upon me. No, we're told to eagerly desire, which means to pursue these things. If I didn't pursue my wife, I would not be married to her. I had to pursue her. I couldn't just have hopeful thoughts about someday God is somehow going to just magically across the campus at Baylor University put us together and we'd be married and have four kids and all wonderful. No. I saw what God had for me and I pursued her and I got her because God is good. God is good. So pursue these good things that God has for you. But I have. Keep pursuing. But I, I haven't received this. and Keep pursuing. I'll tell you a story someday of, of I mean, I pursued and I'm still pursuing the things of the Lord, including these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And trust Him with all this. But it seems weird. Yeah, it's supernatural, y'all. God is God. It's going to seem out of our comfort zone. And if walking with Jesus doesn't pull you out of your comfort zone, if walking with the Lord doesn't pull you out of your comfort zone, you're not walking with the Lord. You're not. You walk with Jesus, you're going to be put in some uncomfortable situations. But that's exactly when God shows up. And, 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 and all that he is starts flowing out of you. And you start speaking words that you didn't, you didn't originate that just came and just, just started coming out of you. And you start seeing things happen and, and people getting saved and, 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 and sin falling off and bondages being broken. And, and you start to see the kingdom of heaven like coming alive. But it can be uncomfortable. It can be scary, but it's good. And you can trust the Lord. You heard some of those testimonies up here this morning. God is faithful. Even when I'm not faithful, God is faithful. He's good. He's gentle. He's kind. He's big. He's able. He is God and there is no other. So let's stand up. We're going to take communion at this time.